Hey guys, it's Mary. Thank you for tuning in today to this episode. It's um, one of our healing episodes that we're featuring this month because we all need a little healing. And we talk about some um, hard things on this podcast. And the whole idea is though we can do hard things and we can find our way to the other side and we can actually let that inform our journey in a really positive way if we so choose. And today I speak with Emily Garrett and we actually talk a little bit about how we have to have this awareness to be able to know we can choose, right? So Emily is, I'm so happy to have her on. She's been a teacher of yoga for to me for years. Um, she is the owner of Laughing River Yoga and so much more. She's an incredible human being. And, you know, if you have never been to a class of hers, I really am. Um, recommend you check it out, which we'll have links in the show notes to her website. And you can actually do one-on-one work with Emily, but just check out one of her classes, first of all, because that is so healing. And I think you'll be really, I don't know, blessed with this um, gift that Emily brings to every class and how she shows up and holds space for you and just gives you these little beginning places for your practice and it starts with the breath and it starts with being present and yeah just check it out you won't be disappointed but today we're going to talk about how she got into yoga we're going to talk a little bit about the issues going on in the world and how she sort of moved her practice and her business to sort of meet that where it's at Um, she's just one of these souls that was put on this earth I think to Um, hold space for healing and to learn and to share and she's certainly doing that and she's shining her light out in the world as a human being you know as a mother that's balancing it all very relatable to so many of us and you know we'll talk about it's not a perfect way of showing up in the world but it's an authentic and true way of showing up in the world right and so part of the whole practice is self-acceptance and love which was her stepping stone into it And I love sharing these stories with you so you can see how people found their way to finding their meaning and purpose, their North Star, what they're meant to do here during this journey. And so that you can maybe take this in and kind of pause and look at your life and especially if you're not feeling like you're quite aligned and say, what has come into my life, invited or not, um, that might be trying to steer me in direction of what I'm actually here to do. Because I really believe we're all here for a reason, and it's our job to figure out what that is. And while we're here, I do think we all are learning, and we all are sharing. And so today we share some healing, and we share some ideas around how to address some of the tough um topics going on in our world today around racial and social justice, around gender, and how Emily really has um, opened up her space and yoga as a tool to be with all of this in community and with self so that we can find our way forward. So thanks for being here. Enjoy all the little nuggets of wisdom Emily has to share. Here we go. Let's get to the show. This is Zen Mama in the Addict with Emily Garrett. So welcome to this episode of Zen Mama in the Addict. This is Mary and I am super excited about my guest today, um, Emily Garrett. Welcome, Emily. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'll just start by um, introducing you a little bit, and then you can share and expand upon that. I've actually known Emily um, probably longer than she's maybe really known me, (laughs) in that I started my journey with yoga many years ago um, with Yoga Vermont, which you were teaching at, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's when I first got to know of you and experienced you there. Um, And then my, my yoga journey's been like, in and out threaded throughout the years, but you've always sort of been this common thread throughout that there. And then now at Laughing River Yoga, where Emily is the owner. And um, I love Laughing River. It has, uh, I think, 
I just want to share right off that it is a yoga studio where you can go and practice yoga. It also though holds these intensive and these workshops and a teacher training um, and really is building this community that we're going to talk about um, a little later in the podcast. Um, so that those of you that may might not even be practicing yoga or those of you that do can really understand like sort of the reaching um, effects that yoga can have because it's pretty amazing. And so I'm excited to be here to talk with you about that today. So I know you as this leader, as this owner, as this beautiful soul. I also know you're a mother. I also know you're a partner. Um, I also know that you really hold a space as a leader in the community. And I would like to um, talk about that a little bit more today, but tell us a little bit more about you and your journey into yoga maybe as a starting point. Sure, yeah. Um... Yeah, well, I've been um, practicing studying yoga for since I was 17. And um, now I'm 44. So mm -hmm. um, it's been a long journey. But you know, what I when I think about uh, my experience in yoga, um, and what kept me at it for all these years, it really does go back to the first class that I took when I was 17 and it was a Kripalu yoga class and it was taught by a woman named Jane Selzer who was also a dance teacher who was uh, living in Burlington Vermont at the time and teaching yoga and uh, I took the class and went through it and I didn't really know what was happening um, but at the end of the class I felt so relaxed in a way that I had not experienced that feeling of relaxation in my body mm. um, before, at least I couldn't remember, right. you know? And yeah. so it was like, whoa, this is a new way of living in my body, not only um, to relax, but I think it may have been in some ways, at least um, overtly, the first teachings I got on how to love myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had been shown love through my, my family, mm -hmm. um, but really this teaching on it's okay to love yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, as an as an actual practice and teaching, that was my first experience of it. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what kept me hooked was exploring this concept because it was a concept at the time of mm -hmm. of loving myself with all of my uh, you know warts and anxieties and and uh, faults. Um, so that really continued the the lifelong journey. Um, I had, I studied dance in college, so I always appreciated moving the body. Um, and yeah, I just kept going. I, I did that. My, when I first decided I wanted to start teaching yoga, I was a, an AmeriCorps volunteer. I was oh, living yeah. out in Portland, Oregon, and mm -hmm. I was running summer camp programs for kids and working in a high school and um, I just really liked yoga and I knew I wanted to share it in some way. So I actually, the first classes I ever taught were at a women's homeless shelter in Portland, Oregon. And I would go in and um, meet the women. We had this little like conference room. And um, in the beginning, there was just so much chatting going on. Everybody was connecting and there was a lot of excitement and we would chat and then eventually I would start the class and I pretty much just did exactly what Jane had taught me in yeah. her classes. I pretty much copied her for the entire <laughs> class. But what I noticed was within the first probably five minutes of simply slowing down and breathing, I could feel an energetic shift in the room. And it was really, really powerful because yeah. I could see and not only see, but also feel that transition from this kind of nervous energy to this really potent uh, healing energy. Mm. I would call it healing energy. It was every people slowed down. They started to feel their bodies. They started to breathe. And there was a calm that came across mm -hmm. the room and it was incredibly beautiful. I mean, I will never forget this moment. Um, and then I continued and, and I remember the women would tell me like, Oh, I was waiting at the bus stop, Emily. And, you know, I just imagined myself in uh, warrior two, you know, and it made it so much easier to, to stand tall oh. while I was waiting at the bus stop. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So it was, yeah. A, it was an immediate positive 
reaction and going in I had no expectations I didn't really even know what I was doing in some Mm -hmm. ways but obviously there was a part of me that did know what I was doing Mm -hmm. and I knew from the very first class and having that experience probably within those first five minutes Mm -hmm. that that's what I was going to do and that's really been my process and practice since then is is you know, working toward creating healing in group settings, mm-hmm. through yoga classes, mm-hmm. um, through workshops and trainings, and also um, individually one-on-one with people as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. I um, Just a couple things that I want to circle back to. One is being a 17-year-old a while ago. <laughs> Yeah. Right. If you're 45 now (laughs) at a time when, I mean, yoga really wasn't as popular in the West, even Mm -hmm. then as it is now. Mm -hmm. And, but yet what you experienced, which is probably why it was being taught by a dance teacher then I Mm -hmm. would imagine, Mm -hmm. but um, a 17 year old opening the container of the concept of self-love is Mm -hmm. an incredibly powerful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, in a, in a gift and something that I really wish, um, I mean, could it, could that be a beautiful unfolding for any teenager, right? Or anyone mm-hmm. at any age, quite honestly, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. how powerful at that age for you, um, which I don't know, sometimes I think about divine intervention and, you know, <laughs> kind of showing your path early on. And, and that's really mm-hmm. probably was, um, well, it, you're saying it was a defining moment and then going on to teach and feel a healing energy. So I also think that's something that not everyone can totally appreciate being able to energetically connect and feel the shift of energy and recognize that for what it was. And again, really mm-hmm. early in your teaching. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. there a way to describe that even? Um, I know you talked about like that sort of busy, like, you know, maybe nervous energy. Yeah. Maybe it's just the opposite of that. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, you know, a deep ocean. It's like a calm pool of water. Maybe, Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe those aren't the best words, but um, yeah, I do feel very grateful that I found this at 17 years old. I mean, it's not in, you know, going through teenage years is not an easy um, path and um, to, to be giving, this experience at that time was crucial in my development. And, um, but I, I think that I've always really just been very in touch with my body and, Mm. you know, I, I, um, just felt my body very deeply. I feel deeply. I, um, I did study, I did dance from a young age, not, not like really seriously, but I, I did sports. Like I've always had a relationship with my body and, for me, the healing energy is an embodied experience. I feel it in my breath and my energy. You know, when when the healing is happening in the room, I sense a shift in my inner mm. environment. And my breath, maybe my breath slows down, or maybe my heart opens a little mm. bit, and I feel a little bit more spaciousness and even compassion and love toward my students. That might arise when this healing happens Mm. um or just a sense of like it's okay like there's a settling that happens and a sense of um beauty in the moment Mm. like this moment has inherent beauty in it and connecting to that Mm. yeah I love that I also just love um and want to point out again to anyone listening how how you not only um, held space, right, for that transformation into this healing energy, but then you received that back, yeah. right? Well, and that's why we keep teaching. <laughs> yeah, right. We're very selfish, you know, I mean, yoga teaching, <laughs> right. it's, it's an exchange, it's an energetic exchange. It is. You know, when we give and receive, and, and, and so we, we, you know, it's part of the motivation to continue to teach, yeah. for sure. But what about also people leaving that yoga class and going out into the streets in the world, right? In mm-hmm. that state of being and how that mm-hmm. could then influence the people that they come in contact with, mm-hmm. right? I remember yes. reading this uh, like little quote, like stand next to people that feel like sunshine. 
Mm. right? When you're not feeling that way, especially. So like, I I don't know, to me, that represents a little bit of the healing power of yoga, not only practicing for yourself, but Mm -hmm. right, how we can sort of share that light. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's different phases of that one is to be open to it so that we can see it when it's there Mm. and and really um, receive that energy, whether it's being offered from another person or just simply present. Yeah. Um, you know, cause when we're, when we're in distracted, busy mind mode, you know, that, that ray of sunlight could be right next to us, but we don't even see the ray of so sunlight. So true. Yeah. Right. So to yeah. be sort of open enough to be conscious of this, as you called it, this ray of sunshine, that's right there. And like, Oh, I want to bathe under that light for a little bit. Yeah. Right. So, um, I think that's part of it. And, you know, that's where it gets more challenging though, of course, is as soon as you walk out of the yoga studio and you're in real life and relationship and, and um, it makes me think of what you said about the community healing and the community peace and how important that is. Recognize our sense of interconnection and mm-hmm. that we're all human and we're all going through this. And yes, we can have this beautiful experience um, in yoga class and then still go home and potentially, you know, have an argument with our partner, right? So, um, and that's where I think sometimes disconnect happens and people sort of start to put themselves into these different categories of like enlightened, unenlightened. And Mm. it's like, well, actually it's all a part of the process, you know? So I can experience this great connection and openness and and love and then I can also experience confusion and conflict and uh being closed off a little bit right and so how do we mediate those experiences which is really the sort of potency of a practice right yeah I um actually was listening to um something that you did a video, I think for seven days. And you talk about like just getting to that place of, um, of acceptance, right? And I've heard this in your class many times too, and in in Alma Yoga teachings and learnings. Um, But that is like, part of the gift is that you, you see the waves, and you ride them, and you know, they all belong. Right? It's this level of acceptance around around that. Mm-hmm. which is a really hard practice. And I, and one of the things I love about you, Emily, is I do hold you in a very high light from such a teacher um, and such depth of knowledge and evolution, but you're also very much a real person and you share that realness and, and vulnerability. And I think um, here on Zen Mom in the Attic, the whole community is really about stepping out from behind our shame and vulnerability of, of the imperfections of which we are and knowing mm-hmm. that um, that still exists, but we can have practices in our life, right? That can allow us to accept all of that and to, you know, and to share the stories in a way of healing, but then have a practice mm-hmm. to be able to work through that. Because mm-hmm. honestly, these like really um, incredible um, yogis that that um we all aspire (laughs) to be perhaps um you know if we can't put it in real life context that's a little challenging you know when i first started reading pema chodron like years and years ago i'm like well this is all cool um if i could sit under a buddha tree somewhere on an island with nobody pissing me off ever I kind of honestly I mean that was like I don't know early 90s I was like I don't know that I can do this like I like reading about it but I'm not sure how I can actually you know I don't know if this aligns with this journey for me you know mm-hmm. so I think yoga has helped me to put that into some context and mm-hmm. um yeah and you've studied Buddhism I mean, that's mm-hmm. sort of the basis. And uh, maybe the mindfulness piece is that awareness that you're talking about for us to even recognize this, you know, what's happening around us and to feel the sunshine if it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to, um, uh, I, I've had a, a, my teacher is in the Shambhala uh, lineage of Tibetan Buddhism. So that's where I've done my main study through the mm-hmm. teachings of Chagyam Trungpa Rinpoche. Mm-hmm and through my teacher who studied with him. So that's the same lineage as Pema Chodron actually. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I think, um, and when you think when you, that sense of like, how do I find the ray of sunshine? I mean, in just very base levels, like when I'm having a conversation, can I feel my body breathing? Mm. Right. Especially when it's, but not even always, if it's a difficult conversation, just any conversation, like, can I have an intimate relationship with myself that allows me to be full, even with others? And the intimacy of the practice is, you know, spending the time with our minds and our bodies and our breath to an extent that we can connect with those parts of ourselves um, in the world, which is the mindfulness practice. So it's much more, it's much easier to do it when we're by ourselves on our yoga mat, but then how can I um, maintain that relationship with these inner, with the inner environment watching, oh, did I, did I, am I holding my breath unconsciously? What would happen if I just soften my belly and take a deep breath? Mm -hmm. And that becomes the mindfulness practice in our relationships and in our life and mm -hmm. um, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes feeling like those edges are our invitation, right? To practice. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, we, yeah, I mean, that's actually be can become the reminder. Yeah. So when I notice myself unconsciously holding my breath, I can appreciate that because that's a reminder to soften my belly and just allow my diaphragm to move. Yeah. So let's, um, I love that. And so, um, let's just say we've covered the fact that this, you don't have to feel, um, you know, enlightened to practice. <laughs> In fact, the fact that you don't feel enlightened is the invitation to practice, right? All those things you think I shouldn't be feeling these things. Like I yeah. practice mindfulness all the time and I feel all those things and I still yell at my kids and I still do the things. Um, but I totally see myself doing it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're doing it. Um, and so that's my invitation to practice. Um, and so let's talk though about the practice. And when I think I, I was like thinking about you and, you know, it's so much best um, ex experience I've had with your teachings, but two things um, really came to the forefront. And one is like, you definitely helped me understand the power of breath and how to feel that in our bodies and how that, and, and I guess maybe you can speak to like that as the simplest place to start and why it's so powerful. Yeah. And so I was um, in, cause, because when I think when people are like, okay, that's great. Um, how you feel the edginess, then what do you do? And I, I think um, a lot of times people think about yoga as this more gang flowy, like a lot of people say to me, well, I, I, I just don't know how to do all those postures, right? I don't even know where to start. But I think, you know, you've taught me and I, I think you teach the power of breath is the place to start and how that, um, and I, I, I'm thinking about a practice of just laying on my back in your yoga studio and you having us actually breathe up our back and then up and down one side and then the other side and then the front body and just realizing like how much control we have over how we move our breath through our bodies and maybe you can speak to sort of that as a starting point for you as a teacher and, and what that does to inform our body and to shift the, the energy perhaps. Well, first of all, I would say working with breath is not only just a beginning practice. Um, for me, it's probably my main practice, mm. my daily practice. I mean, and I tell students this all the time and I, I do it myself, but to have 10 minutes to lie down on your back, like you're saying, I like to put my legs up on a chair or on my bed or even up the wall and take the hands onto the lower rib cage and simply feel the body breathe for 10 minutes or less, right? Maybe you have three minutes. Mm -hmm. um, but what it does is it, it resets your nervous system, right? So yeah. if we're in a space, I mean, period, if we're in a state of hyperarousal or hypoarousal, meaning kind of fight or flight mode or stuck shut down mode either one um if we can just lie down and breathe it will that alone can help to balance regulate the nervous system balance our energy it's also a great rest so for example if i've been you know running around all day doing this and that and this and that and then i lie down i can usually feel this strong fast vibration in my body it's kind of like a like a pulse like um 
the heartbeat is fast. There, there's literally a vibrational quality that's fast. And as I lie there and I simply slow down my breath and get my diaphragm and my lungs moving, but I mainly focus on the diaphragm, mm. by the way, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, then uh, I'll watch that vibration start to slow down. And then I'll watch myself feel more connected and whole and less disconnected because that pulse, that strong vibration can almost feel like, like a dis, like I'm jumping out of my body a little bit. Right. Yeah. yeah. People, you know, jumping out of my skin, people say. Mm-hmm. So if I can pause and just slow down my breath and, and kind of be with that, then things come more together, integrated, whole. Mm-hmm. And then I'm more rested and reset to go to whatever's next. Mm -hmm. So it's also a constant resetting because we are, you know, getting triggered all the time, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously. And so, and, or just integrating and processing our experiences. We don't Mm -hmm. always have time to process what happened. And so it will kind of show up internally as a vibration or, maybe a stuck feeling, um, maybe fear, you know, it, it's very subtle, mm-hmm. but taking 10 minutes to slow down and breathe also gives us time to just process and integrate and like, well, what am I feeling right now after having had this meeting and that conversation and that exercise and that food? And, mm-hmm. and so we get to know ourselves a little bit mm-hmm. better and also create these self-soothing or um, tools to, to balance feel more whole. Mm-hmm. And I just uh, point out that that's the opposite of escalating those emotions or numbing them, right? It's exactly. an opportunity. Yeah. Um, to use the power that innate power that we have within ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. To just stop and assess. Yes, yes. And then, of and course, it, and it, yeah. And, and that's why it can be helpful to have a teacher have community, because even a practice as simple as this, if you do this regularly, Um, It's quite possible that emotions will arise, you Mm -hmm. know, that you'll feel things a little bit more. And sometimes we need some support in figuring out how to, how to mediate or navigate that. Um, And yet that is part of the healing process. Right, right. That's beautiful. And then let's go back to the diaphragm, because the other thing we we all can know our diaphragm that's in the midsection of our body. Um, But the other thing I think about um, that you've shared some of recently, I was in a yin class, a week-long yin training with you, and yin is a a slower practice that I feel like is so um, relevant right now and, and necessary for all that we've all been through in this last year and a half. And on top of just, you know, living the lives that we live in this current um, century. (laughs) Um, so yin is just holding, holding poses simply for three to five minutes and allowing the body sort of to open and relax. Um, again, like that massage for the nervous system. And when we were, do you want to speak a little bit more on what about yin and no? Okay. Um, but the, practice that was really powerful for me this uh, couple weeks ago when I was doing this with you is you really had us um, breathing into our pelvis and really trying uh, talking about our pelvic diaphragm, which I had really never thought about before. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that because I felt a release and opening up that I had not experienced before. Mm -hmm. And it's a power, it was powerful for me. So maybe Mm -hmm. you can speak a little bit to that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's actually five diaphragms in the body. There's a diaphragm in the arches of the feet. There's a diaphragm in the pelvis. There's the main diaphragm that attaches just below the rib cage. There's our vocal diaphragm and there's a diaphragm across the skull kind of in between the inner ears. Mm. So ultimately when we're breathing in um, a natural way, you know, in the body's sort of innate desire to breathe, how it was designed to breathe with most fullness and ease, really all of these diaphragms are working together. Hmm. The best place to start is the main diaphragm because that's the diaphragm that's doing probably most of the, the work, the breath work, the breathing work. And beneath the main diaphragm, which yes, attaches to the rib cage and it moves all the way down and then the belly expands on the inhale and on the exhale, the diaphragm moves up 
and the belly empty. So that's the main diaphragm, which works with the lungs. The lungs are like an accordion that widen and narrow as you breathe. But beneath the main diaphragm in the base of the pelvis that actually sits in the bowl of the pelvis is what we call the pelvic diaphragm, which is a sheath of muscle. And this sheath of muscle is designed to move when we breathe with the main diaphragm, they work together. And when these two diaphragms are working together, we're massaging our pelvic organs, we're massaging our gallbladder, we're massaging our liver, we're massaging our digestive organs, we're massaging our heart. Mm. So actually the function of these two diaphragms is essential for the health of all of our inner systems. Mm. And when you think about the pelvic diaphragm, you can think of things like um, constipation, right? Many, many people have constipation and, you know, a simple thing to help allow space and get things moving is to breathe into your pelvis and get that pelvic diaphragm moving also for the nourishment of the bladder, the prostate, the uterus, like these organs really, their vitality is directly connected to the movement of the pelvic diaphragm. Mm because we spend so much time sitting and many of us have really tight hips, it can constrict Mm -hmm. the ability of the diaphragm to move. um, And some that can show up in many different ways. Um, But I'm, I'm really passionate about teaching people about the pelvic diaphragm because it's another tool and it's generally not something you're going to learn when you go to the doctor's office. So if you have prostate problems and you go to the doctor, they're likely not going to tell you about your pelvic diaphragm. <laughs> and yeah, I can tell you that it will help. It, it may not replace the doctor. You still need the doctor, but it, it can and will help with the, you know, building the vitality and balance of all of the pelvic organs. Mm. Yeah. And I just, um, from a trauma perspective, even, Mm -hmm. um, I imagine like a lot of this, um, that Emily's talking about and moving and allowing our bellies to soften and letting our bellies fill with breath is hard for a lot of us women, especially I think who have Mm -hmm. moved through this entire life, trying to hold our guts in or wearing Mm -hmm. things that constrict us. So part of that, I think that is a training that kind of a behavioral change that is sort of a first step to being able to relax those abdominal muscles and really let breath move down in there. And yeah, yeah, and I know you've done some work around uh, trauma and the pelvis, yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the first things that happens when we experience a traumatic event is that the pelvic floor tightens up. Mm -hmm. And if we aren't given the tools and time that we need to to heal from that uh, trauma, um, the tension can stay for a very long time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it may not release. It may. And so learning how to access the pelvic diaphragm and the main diaphragm, like you're talking about, can be a way to heal um, some of the, the holding that's there as a result of potentially uh, trauma that's happened to mm-hmm. the body and with, with, uh, and sexual trauma, you know, mm-hmm. especially, mm-hmm. um, again, that's why it's helpful to do this work with some kind of support system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's natural, you know, to try to protect ourselves. And, um, that's one of the ways that protection will show up is through the tension and the restriction of the mm-hmm. diaphragms. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I mean, that translates also like our entire body, right? I mean, we, and this is sort of par- part of the power of, of yoga is just as we move our bodies, as we breathe, as we begin to like develop this idea of letting go as we exhale, right? Or even as we inhale and allowing our bodies mm-hmm. to soften, words mm-hmm. that I've learned from you, softening on the inhale, letting go mm-hmm. on the exhale, you know, and I, um, I just, I just want to share that it's, it's just such, you know, I've been in talk therapy for years. Um, and so, and I'm still am, but I still come to my mat and it's a totally different type of healing, um, and letting, and letting go in a, in a way that you don't have to verbalize. It's not a thinking thing. It's mm-hmm. just a being thing and using like this, 
these um, no, these are tools we all have in our toolboxes to use. And sometimes just under the instruction of a teacher, we can learn how to access those um, and heal and heal, you know, without sometimes um, I just know, like I got on my mat this morning. I, I, I haven't shared with my community yet, but I, I shared an email to you. I was recently diagnosed with Lyme disease and it's been just a few days, you know, it's been a less than a week and I'm feeling so much better, but sometimes when you're in those toughest moments, when you're feeling really emotionally drained and I was physically drained and then I get on my mat and it's just, and I start to breathe and I start to, you know, get into my body. It's just mm -hmm. such a um, coming home, you know, and such a gentle and nurturing place to address these issues with myself and with the world around me. Mm -hmm. which I'm kind of going to use as a little segue into mm -hmm. uh, what I, uh, I, I hope we've at least shared a little bit so far on the power of this simple practice of yoga. And that I just wanted to be sure that everyone, because I've had a few emails come my way of people that are interested in practicing, but they're like, but I really just don't know how to do all those postures. And I just want to invite people that you don't have to, and, it, and mm -hmm. you don't have to let that be a limiting factor for yourself. You just need yeah. to show up for yourself and breathe. And yeah, and just, find the right the right class. And find the right class. Yeah. Um, there are classes where you can do a ton of postures, and there are classes where you might do five postures the whole class. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 And I, I know, and they're all, and they're all great. I mean, I sometimes, you know, they all meet you where you're at. I think that's the yeah. beauty of it all, right there. Um, and one of the the things that um, I have just noticed happening in your studio is um, I recently attended a walking in whiteness workshop that you held, which opened up um, a lot in me. And we could talk some about that, but I mostly wanted to talk with you about how you are using your space as a way to bring people together, not just to practice yoga as we've talked about it, um, but to use it also as a tool to be able to have us come together to talk about these really uncomfortable things that are happening in the world mm -hmm. around us right now that we really don't know how to be with and feel very um, uncomfortable coming around a table to talk about often um, or vulnerable around and around race, around, I mean, you've talked, you know, around gender, around all the social um, justices going on. Um, even around, you know, COVID and around what we're all feeling. It's just such a, such a, um, I think a beautiful place to be able to hold a safe space around that. So I'm just curious if you can talk to me a little bit about, I mean, I'm sure this has changed over the years for you as you've owned your business <laughs> and seen, you know, where you were and where you are and what you're holding space for today. And um, mm -hmm. how that feels not only as a strong community leader too, and how to move through this, but also to access or to allow access for others to have these conversations mm -hmm. and heal. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly a process. I think it's been a process for everybody. Uh, 10, 10 years ago when we founded the studio, we created four tenants for the studio, which are our guiding principles, core values, and one of those core values back then and still is, uh, no one is free until we are all free, which is a Fannie Lou Hammer quote, which has been um, utilized a lot the past year uh, yeah. since George Floyd, also before then, but it's become more in the public um, sphere. So that's always been a part of our uh, mission, you know, and, and like, that the individual liberation that we're working toward, like how does that lead to collective liberation? The idea of the Jiva Mukti, which is a person who becomes enlightened and then stays on earth to help others mm -hmm. become liberated, you know, or the Bodhisattva in the Buddhist tradition is a, here to encourage and help um, others, you know, support others in the practice of liberation. So that's always the end game. The end game is not my, my own individual liberation, um, but actually the liberation of all beings. Mm -hmm. And so how do you do that? Right. That's really, yeah. it's one thing to say things. It's another thing to figure out what that looks like. Uh, yeah. And um, so I think it was, um, it was probably after 
Trump elected was elected, we um, started to, um, we had teacher Candace Taylor, who's still a teacher at the studio, and she started to offer these looking at oppression through the lens of yoga workshops. Mm -hmm. And so what it was is really just taking the yogic tools and figuring out, okay, now how can we apply these to this systemic oppression that's in our culture and get a sense of clearly seeing what's going on and then using yoga to help heal mm. these wounds, which can look at, um, look like, you know, taking, taking action, social justice component to our yoga practice. How can me uh, visualizing myself in a warrior pose and making sure that I can feel my breath and calm my nervous system mm. allow me to, to speak up when I need to speak up mm. right that. or um, if I'm going to have a difficult difficult conversation about race like I need to be able to feel my body and feel my breath so that I'm not reactive and I can really listen to another person's perspective mm -hmm structures that are in place between dominant and marginalized you know, communities, how power is structured. Um, so also looking at, at that in the yoga studio, what's the power structure in the yoga studio and how are we working to create, yeah, more equal access uh, and to reach out to different communities. And it's, it's really so that, you know, we can spread yoga. It's not just for one type of person. Mm -hmm. um, and that's always a work in progress, always, mm -hmm. always, always. Um, mm -hmm. But since then, now we have like, we have full financial aid, anybody, nobody has turned away. So um, mm -hmm. if you really want to study at Laughing River, we can, we will, you can do that for basically whatever you can afford. Mm -hmm. um, and then this walking, and we're, we have a social justice component as part of our yoga teacher training program, mm -hmm. um, which Candice helped lead led for two years and now uh, Trish DeRocher will be leading mm -hmm. this component of our next yoga teacher training program. And she's the one who uh, did the walking with whiteness mm -hmm. workshop. And, you know, part of that walking with whiteness workshop that I found so healing was, and this is where that community piece becomes so important. I think like as an individual, I can be looking at my own privilege as a white person and my own story and, and how it shows up and my own guilt and shame and fear. And, you know, it's an important practice, right. To have that self-reflection. Mm -hmm. And yet when we come into community, like we did in that room, and I think there were eight or nine of us, we mm -hmm. all shared our story of kind of a relationship with whiteness. Mm -hmm. And what happened is for me anyway, it was like, oh, wait, I'm not alone, right? Mm. This is something that um, another person also shares and experiences. And in that, I, I feel that there's, there's a healing quality of recognizing mm -hmm. one that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. um, this is, you know, part of this system that's been set up. And we can support each other to work through this because you can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. You know, you mm -hmm. really can't do it alone. And I noticed this with my one-on-one -on -one clients too. It's like you get to a certain point where you've, you do your inner work. And then the next step is to bring it into community and mm -hmm. be able to have these conversations and have these open um, dialogue and honest, authentic conversations. And um, when we're working with the issues of our time, the gender issues, race issues, power structures, changing systems. There's a lot of conversations we need to have. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love the, I do think the telling of our stories is incredibly powerful because it, of just what you said, it makes us realize we're not alone. You know, we have, we get so busy in our minds with the stories we tell ourselves you know, um, mm -hmm. that sometimes we, for, we uh, uh, you know, I forget. And I, I guess anything I, I've gotten to the point in my life that anything I'm feeling, I've realized I'm probably not the only one feeling it, right? Right. <laughs> I'm not that right. different or that unique. Um, and so, yeah. you know, it doesn't always feel good to share um, mm -hmm. that vulnerability, but initially, but as soon as someone else kind of looks at you or holds space for you of understanding, to me, that's, um, I felt that healing over and over again, you know, mm -hmm. and 
I think we've yeah. lived very siloed for a really long time. And I think um, this is an opportunity for us right now to open yeah. up. Yeah. 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 You don't have to do it all by yourself. And, and I think having these conversations around whiteness, you know, part of the reason we're doing it, this at the studio and it's so helpful too, is also for us to do our work as a collective and not to put the emotional labor onto the BIPOC community to keep educating right. us about, right. um, you know, our history. It's like, so, so we can do this as a, I think Trish talked about as like, energetic reparations you know to go in at which was she borrowed from somebody else whose mm -hmm. name I don't remember um, okay. but uh yeah and so then we can be more prepared for yeah. the the action oriented work you know having done that more of that inner work yeah um, that yeah. was incredibly powerful for me that day because I think I was in that place of like oh I have to understand more I really have to try to walk in their shoes and, you know, and then as we went around the room, which was all white skinned people, but with different backgrounds um, and heritages that we, I began to understand being white in America meant kind of letting go of a little bit or forgetting about and trying to move more present with what it meant to be white in America, which was often around perfectionism, around goodness, you know, around these standards and, and it, for me, suddenly realizing uh, what I had built, I mean, which I've realized before, but this was just through another lens, I built my life on these pillars of, was really just, we just kind of made this up. We made up this mm -hmm. way of what we thought, and it wasn't, it's not true, and it's not authentic, and it's not really who we are. Mm -hmm. um, but until we peel back those layers of understanding of ourselves and the beliefs we have and what they're actually based on then really that's, that's to me, I began to understand all oh, of that work comes first for me before I can begin to then um, relate. Like if I can't do that work within myself, then I can't really relate to whatever the truth that everyone else is standing in. Mm -hmm. Right. In yeah. every other uh, often, um, you know, in all, in all communities. So yeah, which honestly, there was a bit of relief for me um, as someone that's trying to move this work also in, in healthcare is to say, okay, we just have to start back to Pema Chodron. We just have to start where we are, right? <laughs> you know, and use the information that we have and then, yeah. And then share that in community. It's interesting because we have um, an equity, diversity and inclusion committee that we've begun in the department I work in at the hospital and, and none of the BIPOC community at the hospital really wants to be on it. Mm. Right. Yeah. I think for the reasons you're saying, like we don't, we don't, and we shouldn't be putting it on them to be involved or to let us know how we're supposed to be being, you know, mm -hmm. it's such a, as we talked about in that workshop, it's messy. Mm -hmm. None of us really know, but we certainly shouldn't shame others into thinking they should be showing up in any particular way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah, I mean, if we can share the load as white bodied people, I mean, it's really important. That's, that is a way to be an ally is, is yeah. to step up and, um, figure this stuff out you know yeah. some of it on our own yeah you yeah know? and um not expect um the BIPOC community to do that for us yeah right because that's that's part of daily life right for that work and that exhaustion that can come with it right? yeah so we can take that on I look forward to through our own you know yeah. inner work and conversations and and yeah. And trying to understand Actions. when that coming together happens and maybe it would more organically happen if, I mean, I know, I think I talked to you that I had Kyle Dodson on here and he talked a little bit. Um, Kyle is a, um, he's the president and CEO at the greater Burlington YMCA, but he spent some time trying to uh, build a, do some mediation with the Burlington police department and the BIPOC community and ran into some struggles, needless to say. Um, but still, you know, really try trying to do that work in the community. And he brought up a couple things, um, around, um, 
this one was really around the lens of yoga a little bit um, around how it wasn't really um, something that a lot of the BIPOC community was involved in. Um, and mm-hmm. he, he talked maybe because in the West, some of it's been commoditized, which I feel like um, your yoga studio is a really good example of not that, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, but I mean, you know, it definitely has run its course over time of like who showed up and, and how it was uh, presented. And I think, you know, you've built a community that's all inclusive in that way. Uh, but I guess we can understand how it has gone in different directions in the U.S. and acknowledge that also. But also be curious about how, you know, how we do open it up to more diverse communities. Yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of Black yoga teachers in the country also to put that out there that okay. you can follow on Instagram and um through off the mat into the world, they have a really diverse programming of, of yoga teachers um, from all different backgrounds, black, brown, white. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to put that resource out there. Um, but I think in the community, a lot of it is probably going to the actual spaces uh, where the where community members live. So part of outreach is not everybody is going to be feel comfortable coming to a yoga studio. And there's many reasons. Some of that is the way that yoga has been commodified and marketed and presented. And this idea of this certain body type, you know, generally it's a thin white woman that mm-hmm. we have in the past seen in the marketing and the commodification of yoga. I really think that is changing in many ways. I think mm-hmm. we're seeing more diverse bodies and genders and, um, colors. Um, so that could be a hindrance. Um, yeah. And, and the community that's already coming, you know, if it's a mainly white bodied community, um, might not feel comfortable to feel like the other coming into that space, you know? So, and yet, so one thing we can do is outreach going into spaces where people already feel comfortable, you know, building mm, relationships mm. with different organizations. Yeah. Um, also, I think the online virtual platform yeah. has been a great way to make yoga more accessible. It's yeah. like you, you can, you know, there's so much yoga online that, yeah. you, that anybody can access and you can be in the comfort of your own home. You can have your camera on or off. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm really inspired by the work that Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams has been doing with her Liberated Life Network and the book Radical Dharma. And yeah. um, they do, they're really bringing mindfulness out to the masses, meditation out to the masses and doing a lot of healing work around really all of the issues, social issues of our time. Yeah. Um, so there, her organization is definitely worth checking out. Um, okay. And at the same time, I would say, I don't know. Right? <laughs> yeah. We are... Yeah. <laughs> right. We're I, finding I, our way. I, I, you know, I know that like my kids go where they go to school, all the kids are learning yoga and my children live in Burlington, but they go to a, a pretty mixed school. I'd say it's maybe 40% uh, people of color, 60% white I think that's the makeup of the school you know living in a very white state yeah Um, and the kids are learning yoga in school you know and then a lot of those kids are going home and teaching their parents yoga so so things like that it's just making it much more of kind of yeah of course you're going to take a deep breath come on take a deep breath and then talk Um, I think there's a lot of ways to also make it less formal so like we said it's not necessarily an hour-long vinyasa class but um, let's learn how to take a deep breath or mm-hmm. let's just pause for a moment and be still mm-hmm. and then continue the conversation. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, it's an unfolding journey for sure. And um, I just think that I, I want to just reiterate that um, you are bringing a lot of diversity in the types of classes that you teach and Um, What you bring to your teacher training, I think, is also bringing a lot of these pieces in so that you're, the teachers are coming, you're graduating teachers that really have like a very broad um, exposure, 
right? What everyone chooses to do with it um, is up to them. But I think you're also changing the way um, the training's looking. And that's very promising to me and, and healing for the community. Um, and thank you. I just want to say from my heart to yours, thank you so much for everything that you're doing, Emily. It's really a mm -hmm. gift. Yeah. So um, I, I always like people to share, and here we've been talking about yoga and healing, but I just want, I like people to share how they stay resilient in their journey because, um, you know, it's a tough one. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I imagine- is, Mary, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I mean, I know yoga obviously is, is probably at the core of it for you, but are there any other mm -hmm. tools in your toolbox that you'd like to share that you use to stay resilient? Well, I have to say, I've become a bit of a workaholic through COVID. I think mm -hmm. the pressure of maintaining the business and making sure it didn't fold yeah. really put me in kind of a hyper arousal state. And yeah. uh, so I'm in a phase now of trying to rebalance and what I'm finding, I mean, what helps me to stay resilient is to rest. Mm -hmm. I rest. Um, I'm not a great sleeper, honestly. So I take a lot of, I spend a take a lot of afternoon rests, you know, mm. just lying down, like I explained for 10, 15 minutes and resting, resetting. That's a huge thing that keeps me resilient. The other thing is uh, having time, unstructured time, making sure I have at least a couple, one or two days where I have nothing scheduled at all. And I can just do whatever I feel like doing. And in that try to uh, have some play time and some fun time, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just having a good support system, having friends that I know I can call at any time and they will be there for me and um, I can talk to them honestly and, um, and they can do the same with me. Yeah. Nice. I love that. Finding, finding time for fun. I've sort of had to remember what fun is myself. <laughs> right? It's like, oh. Yeah. I also have heard you talk about swimming. Yeah, I do a lot of swimming. Swimming is definitely something that helps. Yes, yeah. me very much. So yeah. being in water, yes. Yeah, I know. I love this time of year for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in Vermont. Mm -hmm. Or do you get in a pool in the winter? Or do you mostly swim out? In yeah, the I do a pool. Oh, you do? In the winter, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I love that. Yeah, definitely. And then also formal meditation practice. So just uh, is meditation part of your day? You do daily meditation? Yes. 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 <laughs> yeah. That consistency. Can I know. Be I mean, I even forget about it. I don't even. Yeah. But that consistency. Um, yeah, crucial is crucial. Yeah, for me. Yeah. Do you usually do that when you get up in the morning, Emily? Yeah, as soon as I wake up. Yeah. All right. I think these little nuggets of sharing of how we do stay resilient are it's incredibly powerful. And thank you for doing that and everything else that you've shared. And there's such a huge lens of healing um, around so much moving our diaphragms and breathing. That's just, that's the number one takeaway, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. And just the power of yoga at a personal level and at a community and collective level. And yeah, just... Um, if you haven't checked it out, maybe just think about that. As, as Emily said, there's a lot online, plus there's, there's a lot of local offerings, including those at Laughing River. So just to, to um, close out here, I usually just to ask if there's like one parting little piece of wisdomy nugget that you want to share, what might that be? Not to put you on the spot, but you've shared a lot today. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's been said, but yeah, you know, love yourself and mm. inhale, feel your body expand, exhale, feel your body condensed. Mm. Like that. Thank you so much, Emily. Thanks for all that you're doing. And just uh, personally, I thank you for being part of my journey. Yeah. Thank you, Mary. All thank right. you for putting out this podcast. Yeah. yeah. 
For sure. And we'll have some links um, in the show notes and people can find you. We'll, we'll give a couple links to how people can find you either to come to the studio or to do some personal work with you. Great. Okay. All right. Okay. Bye, Mary. Bye. I hope you guys all enjoyed that so much there with Emily. And I hope you feel a little encouraged to maybe add yoga to your wheelhouse of resiliency tools. It's really powerful. Even if it's just finding your breath or learning how to sit in stillness and befriend yourself a little bit, it can be really powerful. So please, um, you know, share this with someone if you feel like someone else would benefit from us, um, from what we're sharing today. And Give us a rating, write us a comment. It really helps the podcast and check us out on social media and Instagram. And thanks for being here. We're going to have more healers on this month. I hope that um, something resonates with you and inspires you. Have the best day. Do something that makes you feel good. Find something to celebrate. And, you know, don't forget the power of the plants to heal. See you next time.